Let's going to have a seat. Man, as we were singing these songs, um, were you thinking about who you were singing to? Like from last week? Good, good. Right on. Because so often we can come to church and sing these songs and not, not realize we're singing to a person. And that's what I loved about last weekend, to just kind of calm down and think about who's in heaven and think about we're talking to him, we're singing to him, we're hearing from him. Um, on, on Thursday, my wife... Uh, went to uh, lunch with some girlfriends because it was one of her girlfriend's birthdays, girl Teresa. So they had a little birthday get-together for her birthday, and they all brought gifts and everything. And they get to the restaurant, and Teresa's not there. And they look at each other and go, did you call Teresa? (laughs) No one called to see if Teresa was coming. And so at lunch, they decide to call her. Hey, Teresa. Um... And she's in Georgia right now. <laughs> but they had a great lunch, you know. They had a great lunch, hung out, and it was this great little party. And uh, I feel like that can happen in church sometimes. I really do. I feel like we can come here and talk about God, sing about God, you know, pray, you know, but never really connect to Him, the person. And, and, and sometimes we can spend a whole hour, hour and 20 minutes having church service and never really thinking about the person of God. And we still have a good time. We still do our service. And yet the guest of honor, it's like, well, did we ever really approach his throne? Did we ever just come before him and thank him for being in our presence? And were we singing directly to him, a person, not a concept, not an idea, a being and welcoming him into our midst? And so even as I say that, could we uh, just bow our heads for a moment? And just remember what we preached about out of Ezekiel last week and this almighty being on his throne. And how Ezekiel describes the upper half of him was like this burning metal fire. Like a rainbow on a cloudy day, just this amazing being. God, we just acknowledge your presence in heaven. Thank you for watching over us and being here in this room with us. We want this to be all about you. We want to honor you this morning. You are amazing. And it is so hard to believe that you love us so much and that you would take notice of us here in this little church in Simi Valley and yet you're watching from heaven and yet you're in this room and yet you're in our hearts. It is all about you. And sorry if we've ever made it about anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every, uh, every day this week, we're going to be doing that in this room. Um, at 5.30 in the morning this week, Monday through Friday, we're just coming in this room and start our day off together, collectively, coming in the presence of God. If you can make it every day, that'd be great. If you, if you can stay the whole time, that'd be great. If you can come for a little while, that'd be great. Um, Some of you guys go, well, I'm not a morning person, so I can't be there. Well, we're here every night, too, this week. Um, 
at 10 o'clock at night. I'm trying to pick times where I know you're not busy. So uh, 10 p.m. or, or 5.30 a.m., we figure one of those got to be good for you. But again, it's just a time where we come together as a body. And that's just, there's not even like these specifics like, hey, if we all do this, maybe God will do this. It, it, it's, it, sometimes it's better to not even know what, not try to second guess what the plan of God is and just come into his presence and worship him. And just say, God, I just want to be here for you. In fact, we're even encouraging you to maybe fast this week. However God calls you to fast. What it means to fast is to forgo food. Or for some people, it's not food. It's, it's to say, you know what? I, I need to forgo entertainment this week. TV's got a hold of my life. I'm going to go the whole week without watching television or without watching a movie, without getting on the internet. Maybe, maybe without your Blackberry for a week. And every time you just crave, you know, I got to text someone, I got to text someone, you know, that as you go through those withdrawals, that you pray instead. And it's this idea of maybe you go a certain meal throughout the week and say, you know what, I'm not going to eat lunch this week, or I won't eat dinner this week, or I just won't eat this week. And every time I hunger, I want to hunger for God even more. Um, it's uh, When we do these things, though, when we have these times of prayer, fasting, it can get weird. Um, people can go the wrong direction with this. And I want us to be careful because you can fast and pray in such a way that it brings glory to you rather than to God. You can. You can serve God, give to God, sacrifice in such a way where you get the glory and everyone praises you like what an amazing person you are rather than what an amazing God you have. And so I want to be careful of that because that's what the hypocrites do. You know, Jesus warned them in in Matthew 6. He goes, when you fast, he goes, don't look somber like the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. Jesus, don't be like the hypocrites. He goes, because what they do is they go around all week going, guess what? I haven't eaten all week, you know, because I love God so much. You know, and people, that's how they talk back then. And they uh, they would look at them and say, wow, you are so, gosh, that guy hasn't eaten all week. And it's all about him, that guy, that guy, that guy. And God says, no, when you fast, man, make yourself look good. Don't let anyone know you're fasting. Do it in such a way where, where, where it actually brings pleasure to God and takes the focus off of you. You know, do it in such a way where people, go, you, you know, like the psalmist in Psalm 63, he, he goes, he goes, oh, Lord, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, the psalmist says, man, I've spent a couple of days in the desert without food and water. Okay, try to imagine yourself just spending two days. Okay, picture Mojave Desert. You're in the middle of the desert for two days with no food or water. Just try to imagine that. Imagine it's just sweating, the sun's beating down on you, your lips are all cracking and blistered. And imagine how badly you'd want a drink of water. And the psalmist here is saying, man, I want water, man, I want food, but you know what, I want you more. Like if I had a choice right now between a gallon of water and you, God, I would choose you. If I could just have an experience with you because I want you that badly. I long for you that badly. See, when someone does that, then you go, man, this God must be amazing if you want him more than water. You know, like what is this God that who is this God that brings you so much fulfillment that you'd rather have him in the desert than a gallon of water? 
This must be some amazing God if you're willing to forgo that for him. See, it's this idea where the glory goes to him and he gets the praise. That's the goal. I mean, the Bible says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise who? Your father in heaven. Because people should see how you live and not praise you, but praise your father in heaven. As you see the things you do and it ought to bring praise to him. That's what see. And sometimes we'll read these Psalms and go, that's ridiculous. You know, some of you, you'll hear that verse and you'll go, I don't even get that. How can you be in the desert two days and long for God more than water? Like that's that's over your head. And some of you just think, well, you know what? Those guys were weird in the Bible. You know, like they were just ultra holy spiritual. That's why they wrote this book. Have you ever looked in their lives? The things that they've done, they were normal people. Trust me, read it. I mean, they messed up more than many of us in this room. And so don't read that verse and go, well, I could never hunger for God like that. Do you want to hunger for God like that? Do you really want him to be your greatest love to where if I was starving and parched in the desert, you'd want God more because you think he's that great? See, God wants us to hunger for him with that type of love. And I read this quote um, in this book called A Hunger for God by John Piper. And I want you to listen to this quote because it really hit me. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, oh God, I want you. His point in fasting is he says, you know, some of us, we don't have this hunger and this desire and this longing for God because we filled ourselves up with so many other things. There are so many things in this world that you can busy your time with. See, all of our souls crave something. There is an emptiness, but that emptiness can be filled with other stuff, with entertainment, with movies, with friendships, with with food. And he's saying, you know what, if we would deny ourselves some of these earthly, you know, nibbling at the world's table, we'd find that there is this hunger for God that can be awakened. And that's what fasting does, is if I put off some of these things I normally appease myself with, my appetite will actually grow. When I looked at this passage, um, or um, that's not a passage, when I, when I look at that quote and thought of that idea... Um, I, I thought of a friend of mine, Thomas. I'm going to have Thomas come up. Thomas, uh, I met Thomas because he'd been coming to the church. And one day I get this, uh, I get this little card in the offering, they, you know, to Francis. And it was a gift certificate and, and, a, and a business card because he, he was the chef partner over at Fleming's out in the valley on Topanga, that steakhouse that, you know, we can't afford to go to. And... Uh, <coughs> He was one of the partners in that restaurant and the, and the head chef. And so I go over there, you know, because free food, and take my uh, wife out there. And if you ask me, what was the greatest meal you've ever had in your life? That was it. 
You ever been to a place where you sit down to eat and you're so happy? You know, like you're literally smiling and you just can't even cut fast enough to get the the next bite. You know, I was thinking about that when I thought, okay, when, when have I had a great meal? And it, and it was with Thomas. Thomas is actually, a, what's really cool is recently he, he left Fleming's because he believed that God called him elsewhere. And now he's cooking over at the Ventura Rescue Mission and uh, cooking for homeless people. And yeah, it's so cool. He's making like half the money because homeless people don't tip real well. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but the other thing that he does there is he's actually teaching them how to cook. Like as a, you know, so they can get a job. And, and so, so it's, it's a really cool thing where not only is he cooking and feeding them, but he's teaching them a trade so that they can start cooking. And so they can have jobs. And it's a really amazing thing that they're doing. His wife believed one day they're, they're going to go out in the mission field. And uh, so as he's uh, preparing a meal for me, I'm going to have you uh, just kind of tell the people what you're making here. Um, well, as a tribute to your palate, we're going to have lobster tempura <laughs> mm-hmm. with um, a pineapple mango relish and filet mignon medallion with uh, crispy onions. Okay, good, good. And what are, what are these... Uh... <laughs> What are these these sauces here? That's a soy ginger emulsion and a soy marinade that was uh, marinated with the filet. Mm, okay. This is, this is like my wife. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Here's a picture of fasting I want you to get. He's preparing this amazing meal for me. But here's my struggle is all afternoon I'm at home and... Uh, and I go in my cupboard, and I'm getting this stuff out of my cupboard. I, you know how it's so hard when you're hungry, and you know this is in the, and you know this is coming, but you just think, ah, oh, a few Cheez-Its. But can you ever stop with a few Cheez-Its? You know, and then and then uh, and then the Pringles. I love Pringles. These are the best chips in the world. And my favorite, I brought one of my favorite snacks. You're gonna think it's so weird, but um, dark chocolate and animal crackers. I don't know if you've ever done this. I discovered this not that long ago. I'll take a little... Because this is actually not that bad for you. I heard it's like a superfood. Um, <laughs> really. So I thought, okay, that's not too bad. And animal crackers. It's animal. You know, it's... Uh, but if you break off like a piece of dark chocolate and eat it with an animal cracker... Oh. See, I can sit here and... You guys are... You guys want... You want to try it now, huh? I mean, it is. it is so good. I could fill myself up, and here's my problem, is I could eat all this stuff all afternoon and then come down and have this dinner, and I'll still like it, but I'm already pretty full. See, that's what we do sometimes at the Lord's table, is we fill ourselves with all this other stuff, but if we could show some self-control and say, you know what, I'm not going to have this. I mean, you ever been to a meal where you actually pulled it off, and all afternoon you didn't snack? And even when you sat down and they hand you like a bunch of bread and you're tempted to just go to town on the bread because you're so hungry. You ever have those those rare occasions when you put the bread aside and just maybe nibble on one piece, you know, get things going, you know, when you don't don't eat all afternoon. We good to go. And then you actually 
you actually kind of starve yourself all day knowing this meal's coming. Remember, like, uh, once you get there, I'm going to start with the tempura. Um, <laughs> tempura lobster. Okay, imagine you haven't eaten for hours anything. You're starving. And the first thing you, you dip into your mouth is this tempura lobster with this sauce. And it's just like, mmm. Um, and you get to that moment and suddenly all the sacrifice is worth it, right? And then you got this filet mignon with crispy onions. And then, oh, and he cooks it perfectly. I don't know if you can zoom in on, uh, oh, just that reddish pink. Are you kidding me right now? I get to do this four times today. <laughs> Excuse me, but I'm going to talk with my mouth full. Um, it's just this idea that, man, this is, you ever have those meals where you're just so happy, like every bite, you're like, this is so good. My, my, my wife knows, I don't know if any of you guys are like that. Your whole mood changes. Everything changes. But if I had been snacking all day, sure, this is still good. But you know how you just don't have that appetite? And something about... It's something about the hunger and the appetite that makes the food better. You know, you ever have those times when you're so hungry that anything tastes good? That's the idea. Imagine being so hungry and then getting an amazing meal like this. Doesn't it just look great? Don't I look happy? See? See, that's the picture of, of fasting from the junk of this world. It's not this thing where we're going, hey, look at me. You know what? I didn't golf all week. I didn't watch any television. I didn't watch any movies. It's just, it's this desire. Because I don't go, hey, look at me. I didn't eat any Cheez-Its. You know, it's not like, wow, you're so powerful. You know, it's just... No, I'm just being smart because I know what's coming. And I know if I can resist a lot of this other stuff, I can sit down and have one of the most amazing meals of my life. And I know the moment I take that first bite, I'll go, it was worth it. I'm so glad I did that. See, that's what, that's what we're talking about here in fasting is, let's face it, we can fill ourselves up and we can find some fulfillment in the junk of the world, just like I can fill myself with Cheez-Its. At the end, though, it's not fulfilling. At the end, you're sick. And you go, man, yeah, I watched three movies today. Wow. You know, it kept me, my mind going, kept me not thinking about my other problems. But when you get filled up in these relationships and the idea of fasting is to say, God, you know what? I'm going to deny myself some of these pleasures so I work up an appetite. Because I believe if I come hungry that you're going to fulfill me more than food. You're going to fulfill me more than this entertainment. Most of us, we know that. It's just that self-control where we say, God, give me the self-control so I can deny myself of these things. And when I come before you, I'm actually hungry. See, that's one of the biggest problems in our society is we can, we can fill ourselves up with entertainment all day long. And we can fill our souls with something lesser than God. And so that when we come before God, we've already met our needs through shopping and golf and everything else. 
that doesn't totally fulfill and we have little room left for God. And that's why I'm challenging you this week. Could you just try, try this week to just deny yourself of something? Maybe it's food all week. Maybe it's any other type of entertainment and say, you know what? I want to come to those prayer times hungry and say, God, I want you to be my fulfillment this week and see if you wouldn't long for him even more. Because I know the times when I fast, it's weird. You long for food, long for food, long for food that whole time. Then the moment you break that fast and you actually eat, there's almost a sense of unfulfillment, you know? Have you ever done that? Where you go, man, that wasn't that great. Not compared to what I was experiencing. Because there is this relationship with God that's better than food, better than anything on this earth. And that's why we don't want this to be like a legalistic thing. Like, hey, you must, you must, you must do this. Show up. If you call yourself a Christian, you better be here. You know, like that type of stuff where it's guilt and shame and have to's. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what God wants from you. A bunch of rules where you're forced to obey. He wants you to really believe he's better than food. He wants you to hunger for him. And like that psalmist says, I I want you more than anything. And that's why I'm coming. I get to come here tomorrow morning. I get to come here tomorrow night. I get to worship you. I want to. I would be stupid to sleep in because I love you more than sleep. I don't think there's ever been a person who's come to an early morning prayer meeting and afterwards thought, I should have slept in. You know, when you're done, you're going, I can't believe I would have slept through this. I would have missed this. I would have missed this moment for the sake of sleep because you know it's better. It's desire. That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5 that we're going to look at today. In Galatians 5, he talks about this freedom. He goes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You've got to understand this picture. God doesn't want you to be the, his slaves. He died on that cross so that he would pay for everything on that cross, all of your sins. And you wouldn't have to go through life going, oh, okay, if I show up every day and every night, then will you love me? Then will you approve of me? Then, then will you, you know, like this whole fear of rejection. Christ says, no, I died to set you free. I want, God wants his children in the room right now to feel free and secure. I mean, do you want your kids wondering if you love them? You, you want them trying to earn and go, oh, I don't know if dad loves me today. Or that. No, you want them feeling secure, free. God is no different. He wants you in this room as his children to go, you know what? I know he loves me. I know he's crazy about me. He died on the cross, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. He paid for all of my sins, all of my issues. And it says it's for freedom. Why did Christ set you free on that cross so that you would experience freedom? Because that's what God wants of his children. He says, so stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Let me explain what he's talking about here. Remember, he's speaking to the Galatian church. And the Galatian church understood their freedom in Christ, understood the grace of God. But then these false teachers came into the Galatian church and started telling them, no, you're not really forgiven unless you do this, 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 and this. Circumcision was one of those things. It was the Mosaic law. And uh, it was this requirement that that's what sets you apart. And what Paul's saying, he goes, look, if you start going down that road, If you start listening to these guys who are telling you you need Christ and something else, he goes, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. 
Okay, I don't want you to think that you can have Christ plus something else. Because at, at first, at first glance, it seems harmless. So what if I feel like I need to have what Jesus did on the cross and I also feel like I have to do this, take communion every week or something? So what if I'm just adding one other thing? Paul says, no, once you do this, go down this road, Christ will be of no value. He said, you got to go one way or the other. Either it's all about your works and what you do, or it's all about Jesus and what he did on the cross. What saves you? you got to determine that. One way or another, he goes, again, I declare to you that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. He goes, either you go completely with works. Okay, you got to make a choice. Either you work your way to heaven and you obey all of the law and do everything is perfectly and you earn it, or Christ does everything for you. And it's about his grace. It's none of this mixture stuff. Then he goes on the next verse. <coughs> uh, next verse 4 says, You who are trying to be justified by the law, you've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the spirit of righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only, catch that, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. you got to memorize that. Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You got to say that over and over and over again in your head. This is about from God's eyes. This may not be what your friends think. This may not even be what, you know, pastors think or, or your church thinks or your relatives think or, or maybe even the way you think. But from God's perspective, when God looks down in this room, he's saying there's only one thing that matters to me. I don't care if you dressed up for church. I don't care if you came early. I don't care if you did it. That, that's not what it's all about. What matters is faith expressing itself through love what matters is that you believe in who i am and you believe so much that you express that faith through love where you come in this room and you actually love god not trying to earn his favor not trying to do something to make up for last week and what you did but you come in out of love that's all that he cares about all that matters to him is that you love each other that's it and we're going to get back to that verse. We'll go on. The next next verse <clears throat> it says this. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Go ahead in the next verse. <clears throat> I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Okay, I, I want to stop there for a second. And I wish I could, I wish I had time to really elaborate on this. But listen to what Paul says about the ones that were confusing him and teaching him the wrong thing. What does he say about them? He goes, the one who's throwing you into confusion, what's going to happen to him? They're going to pay. They will pay. Okay, I, I want to stop here for a second because... That is so wrong to say in our society. You can't tell me that God is going to punish people for teaching false doctrine or teaching something wrong. 
That's something you're going to hear all the time. You can't tell me God's going to judge me or judge him or judge her. I just want to say two things about this real quickly. One, do you remember the picture of God you got last weekend? Of him sitting on his throne and what it's going to be like to come into his presence? Let me just remind you that you're not going to come into his presence and tell him what he can or cannot do. Just a guess. You can sit here arrogantly because you're just so brilliant and so wise and think that you can come before God and say, you're not allowed to do this. But I'm telling you, when you face God, you're not going to be so bold. You're going to realize you're not as great as you think you are. That's the truth. So be careful when you make statements like, God can't. No, God can. Do whatever he wants. Judge whomever he wants. However, he, however much he wants to. He's God. At some point, you've got to humble yourself before him. And I know you and your friends get together and you're their leader and they trust your opinions. But you know what? You're going to come before God one day. It's not going to be that way. He's God. He's an amazing being. Be careful when you say God's not allowed to do this because he disagrees with your point of view. He is bigger than you. The world does not revolve around you. And secondly, I want to say that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I need to learn how to stand up for beliefs that are unpopular. Like what I just said was pretty unpopular in this world to tell people that the universe doesn't revolve around them, that their feelings really don't matter that much in light of who God is and what he feels. That's not something that's popular to say. But what I want you to learn from Paul here is he's saying, look, I'm telling you, these people will be judged. They're going to pay for it. In fact, look what he says in the next verse. He goes, brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Let me explain what he's saying here. Paul's saying, you know what? There are all sorts of people that are attacking Paul because he's telling them, look, you don't have to do this Old Testament ritual anymore. Christ died for that. Christ set us free. Now, Paul says, there's all these people who hate me. He goes, you know what the solution would be? If I just stop preaching on it. See, if I just shut my mouth, he goes, then no one would persecute me. He goes, but I keep opening my mouth. I keep telling people the truth, and that's why I get persecuted. See, you as a Christian, you can, you can avoid, you can dodge persecution. Just dodge certain issues. Don't say what the Bible says. When you get together with your buddies and they say, oh, there's many ways to heaven, just go, yeah, yeah, that's cute. You know, don't say anything. Just kind of sit there and go, hmm, yeah, whatever. But as Christians, I'm telling you, that's not how Christ called us to live. I was at, I was at a, a Pepperdine University a couple of weeks ago speaking to the whole student body. Preached my message. And then afterwards, they had another session where students can come in and ask questions. A Q&A session. First guy raised his hand. You know what you said in chapel? Most of us don't believe like you believe. We don't believe the, what you're saying. So why would you even say that? You know, 
And it was very good. I want them to be honest. I go, you know, I don't, I don't come here to say what's popular. You know, part of my life is really believing that this is absolute truth. And if God has me say it, I'll say it. And that's part of a belief system is you truly believe something and you say it even if it's not popular. You know, and then question after question. Well, you know what? And you said this, you know, and, and all of this attitude and just one at a time going, you know what? I know. <laughs> I know you don't like that. But that is what God says. That is wrong or that is a sin. or you, And just, man, you think that's fun? You know, to walk away, be the most unpopular guy at the university. And yet you go, no, that's that's the way Jesus was. It's not the most popular message. It's the way Paul was. He goes, man, I'll just avoid this issue and then let's, let's just not talk about those things. Man, it's hard. Sometimes I've heard even this week someone go, you know what? I don't go to your church anymore. Because when I'm at Cornerstone, I feel like I need to change. <laughs> I found this other one where I don't feel like I had to change anything. And yeah, you know, it, it's it, and that's still hard to hear. You know, there's part go, no, I gotta say it, gotta say it, gotta say it. But you know what? There, you can find an easier message. You can find, uh, you know, uh, places where you don't have to change. We could get a lot more people if we didn't lay out some of the beliefs that we believe. We do believe that there is a God who is going to judge and is allowed to judge as severely as He wants to judge. We'd get a lot more people if we say, ah, there's no judgment. He loves everyone. He wouldn't do that. Why would God do that? He just wants us to be happy. So whatever makes you happy, go for it. And God will be happy. You know, we, we can do that. But you know, that's not Paul. In fact, look at what Paul says in that last verse. Talking about those who are teaching. He goes, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Is he allowed to say that? He goes, they're talking about circumcision. You know what? I, you know what I wish would happen to those guys? I wish they would slip and just <laughs> cut it all off. You gotta love Paul's sarcasm. He's not holding back here. He's not scared he's gonna offend someone. He goes, this is so wrong to add to the gospel. That is so wrong to say that it is about anything besides grace. And for those people who are doing that, they're gonna pay for it. And not only that, but I wish they would just emasculate themselves. If they're gonna talk circumcision, cause that is so wrong to require that of God's children. God wants us to be free and not feel like we have to do something to earn his love. He did it all on the cross. And if you're going to add to that, he's saying, you know what, you will pay for it. See, I'm not saying we're jerks about it, but there's just something about standing up at some point in your life for what you believe and standing with God and saying, you know, this is the truth of his word. When you read this, you see the prophets have done it all through history. And there have been great men and women of God who have stood up for this book. And I pray that you become one too. Not out of this fear, not out of this legalism, but because you want to stand with this God. He goes on in verse 13. And he says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. He says, you're free, okay? But now that you know that you're free, now that you know that at the cross, Jesus paid for all your sins and you don't need to earn it. He goes, now that you got that, don't just go off and sin. Don't just go off and indulge in whatever. 
Instead, he says, serve one another in love. Then he says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. (coughs) So he's saying, you know what? You're free, but in your freedom, could you choose? Not forced to, not have to, not must, but is there any part of you that wants to choose to love other people? Because he says the whole law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes, you can sum this up. Sum this up. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Remember earlier he says it's the only thing that counts. It's the only thing that matters. Okay, those are pretty strong words, aren't they? This is the only thing that counts. And you can sum it up with one sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm looking at this and I'm reading this this week and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to give a message on love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to talk to people about, because in my mind, when I read this book, I think, okay, what does God, the one on his throne, what does God want to happen in this room? The only thing that counts, right? He wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. Like if God had it his way, he would have had every single one of you who calls yourself a Christian in this room. If he could have his desire, he would have wanted you to walk in this room and immediately look for people to love. Right? I mean, don't you think that? And when you read about the early church, what was so great about the early church? They said no one in the room, no one in the church had any need. Because whenever someone was in need, someone else would find out about it and sell whatever he had and says, let me take care of you. Wait, you're struggling to, to pay your rent? You know what? I, I, I got two cars. I'm going to sell one of them and we'll take care of your rent. Now, there weren't freeloaders. It wasn't like people didn't work and just mooched off the others because the Bible also taught that if a man does not work, let him not eat. And even with widows, they had spe- specific things. Well, you know, don't just put her on the list just because she's a widow. Look at her life. Has she done this, this, and this? Are they pulling their weight? But at the same time, there was this sense of walking in a room and there was love in this room. It was like no other place on the earth. (coughs) God would love that in this room. He would love it if in your neighborhood you actually knew the Christians in the two or three blocks around you. And that you guys lived differently. Like you guys really said, hey, man, come over. Use my pool. Use my house. Use my car. Whatever. You need me to watch your kids. You watch, you know, hey, I, I got your back. You got my. He wanted such a deep relationship. And I know that's what God wants. When I read the Bible, it's like love your neighbor. Not just love them, but love them as yourself. That means you come in and you're just as concerned about the person next to you as you are yourself. So I read this, and I'm going to be honest with you. I I mean, I've been preaching here for 14 years. 14 years. How many times have I said, love your neighbor as yourself? And yet, how many weekends do we come in thinking about ourselves? And how many, and I know some of you do. I know some of you walk in and go, I'm going to find someone to love. Whoever I sit next to, I'm just going to ask them their name, see if there's anything I can pray for them about, see if they have any needs that I can meet. I know there are some of you who do that. But let's face it, not many, right? Because we live in a very individualistic, independent society. I want to come to church and just kind of blend in and hide out. I'm not really here to make friends. 
I want to meet with God and go on my way, hear my message and go. And so I, I guess my question to you is, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Try to imagine you're the pastor of the church now. And God wants you to get a body of people to love on each other. And you know that, that he wants that. And he wants you to get them loving each other out in the community. And you've preached about it year after year, time and time again. And there's that cynical side of me that goes, I'm going to preach it this week. And by next Sunday, you're going to forget. And you're going to come in and think about yourself. Maybe today you'll leave and say hi to someone or ask someone their name. But next week you'll forget again. And I gotta, you got to wait till the next love your neighbor sermon comes again before we have love in the room. And this whole thing about trying to get you in communities and go to people's houses and actually have fellowship, whatever. <coughs> There's that side. And I, I actually passed the microphone around for service. Or I went around just to raise your hand. Give me a suggestion. And people started suggesting different things. We don't have time for this service. But people are like, well, maybe we get together in communities and go to the park together and outside of church. And it's like, okay, good. That's what we're trying to do in the community groups. People are trying to email and say, hey, we're all going to meet at the park. So that's good. Probably the best suggestion I heard, though, was someone in the back over there. They raised their hand. An older guy, he goes, you know, he goes, maybe if on the way to church, you and your wife just pray that God would send you one person or you would, that whoever you sit next to, that that would be like a divine appointment, you know, and that you would actually meet them and they were the ones that you're supposed to get to know. He goes, because you're not going to get to know everyone, but just to make it your point, Lord, help me meet one person to, to help this Sunday. You know, help me just care for one person. I mean, that's so cool. So you don't need a church program for these things. Sometimes people go, well, maybe if you had a program where you forced us to pray with each other every service. You know, someone said that. And I'm like, well, see, but then it, that freedom thing's gone. And I'm making you love. You know? I'm forcing you to get in groups of four and love each other as yourself. But out of freedom. You know, it just doesn't... <clears throat> but for you to desire it. Here's, here's what we are going to do. Because as I was praying about it and thinking about it more, I mean, this week's a week of prayer, and I want to pray that God makes us more loving. Because the truth is, is I'm selfish most mornings when I wake up and I think about me. I need the Holy Spirit to make me loving. I need to have the Holy Spirit make me loving when I walk in this room. It's about prayer. But it's also about something else. The Bible says in um, 1 John 4.19, it says, We love because... He first loved us. And I, and I was thinking about that verse. We love because he first loved us. Okay, this is all that matters. And God wants us to love. And he says, you know how you'll love? Is when you understand how he first loved you. So we're going to take of communion right now. We're going to take of the bread. We're going to take of the cup. And my prayer is, is as you look at the bread and you look at the cup... It'll remind you of what Christ suffered for you. Because the Bible says that's supposed to be a model to us. That as we focus on his love and go, God, you are so loving to go through that. How can I not love my brothers and sisters? And so we're going to pray. We're going to sing. 
But I want us to remember the love of Christ because maybe that will spur us on to love. Maybe each time you take communion, it will remind you of the love of Christ and the love you ought to have for each other. I'm going to have the worship team. They're going to come up and, and you can take of the bread and cup whenever you feel ready. But here's, here's a, the idea is Jesus after supper. Think about this. I mean, sometimes it's good just to watch it. It says that he broke a piece of bread. He just tears this piece of bread. He goes, you see that? That's a picture of my body. My body's about to be torn apart for you. Because I love you. See, this is me on the cross. They're just going to tear up my flesh. They're just going to beat me. My flesh is just going to tear open. This is my body that's broken for you. That's the son of God. That's the God on that throne. Came down and said, here's my example to you. I love you. And I will sacrifice for you for the joy set before me. And as you take of that bread and only take of it, if you believe Jesus died on that cross for you. Remember that. And then when you take of the cup. Think about the blood being shed on that cross. Maybe even look up at the cross and picture blood dripping down from a human being and knowing that's of Jesus and he did that to show you love and he's saying now you go and love each other as we worship and as the ushers pass out the bread and cup take of it when you're ready but if you need some prayer we'll be at the prayer room maybe you've never taken communion before because you've never been baptized you can get baptized this morning, it's nothing you have to do first. You just have to decide to follow him. Decide to surrender your life to him. There's no other requirement. Other than surrender to Jesus Christ. And if that's your desire, you can get baptized this morning and begin new life in Jesus Christ. But it's only if you believe that it's not about your works. But because of his body and his blood that were shed for you. Let's worship him.